when things did not go his way, he knew he could endure because he looked at seeing him who is invisible. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. We believe that this morning, don't we? That the Word of God does speak to us. And it spoke to us in times past and in many ways, but the same God who spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai still speaks to us today. And He does so through His Spirit and through His Word. Hebrews chapter 11, and we begin reading in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses is considered to be the embodiment of spiritual leadership in the scripture. And really, if you were looking at this from a framework of talking about how leadership applies or looking for business principles or life applications for leadership today, you could find those stories in Moses' life. Perhaps you have that image of Charlton Heston hosting up the Ten Commandments in his famous movie, or if you're younger, you remember the cartoon that came out, The the Prince of Egypt, and both of those stories kind of deviate a little bit from the biblical narrative. Maybe you remember Moses standing up to Pharaoh and the plagues of Egypt just overwhelming the Egyptian people. Maybe you remember Moses on Mount Sinai receiving the word of the Lord. Maybe you remember him being spoken to by God saying, I am that I am hath sent thee. Maybe you can recall Moses speaking to the rock and striking the rock and water coming out in the middle of a desert place. We all have stories of Moses in the Bible, but the writer of Hebrews chooses to focus, rather, on his formative years. Moses, with 120 years of life, and yet what is recorded in Hebrews 11 is the first third of that. And the Scripture tells us that he's able to do everything that he does through faith. For without faith it is impossible to please God. He that believeth in God must know that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And by faith... It begins not with Moses, but with his parents. His parents, not afraid of the king's command, the king's edict. Remember the scripture tells us that after Joseph had led his brothers and his father Jacob out of the promised land into Egypt during those years of famine, that after he had passed away and his bones had been gathered together with his fathers, that there arose up a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And eventually the Hebrew people were sold into slavery, were captured by Pharaoh's guard and his household. And it continued that way for 400 years. And at some point, a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph rose up and said that if I don't take care of the male population, the Hebrew people are going to overwhelm my own population. And so he gave out a decree that all the male-born children of the Hebrews should be killed. It's not the first time that's happened in human history. We still have traces of that happening today, do we not? And yet there were some parents 
who knew better than to obey the command of the king. It tells us that these parents saw Joseph, that he was beautiful. It's not so much talking about the physical beauty, it's talking about the beauty of God's creation, the beauty of the imprint, of the image of God on every single human life. And so you may recall the story, they hid him in a waterproof basket, put him out on the river, discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, and Moses spends the majority of his household years growing up in a palace. It's really a form of civil disobedience for these parents, is it not? Peter and John echo this passage later on when they say, we would rather obey God than men. God calls us to honor government. He says government is a good thing. We ought to pray for wisdom for our leaders and our government officials. But when it comes to the choice between honoring man and honoring God, we must honor God. Parents, we have to keep in mind that our primary responsibility is not to make children into what society thinks they should be. It is to honor the Lord in raising them. And everything else comes secondary. So before the leadership of Moses, here are his parents, not afraid of the king's command. It moves on from there. By faith, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Isn't it interesting that if you look at the totality of Moses' life, essentially three generations, 40 years, three consecutive times, for 40 years of his life, he is considered in an identity crisis. Am I a Hebrew? Am I of the Egyptians? For the next 40 years of his life, he's in the wilderness. He's a sheep herder, a goat herder, out in the desert. And for the last 40 years of his life, God uses him in a tremendous way to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and on the brink of the promised land. So you think about this. There could be some people in here today who are 80 years old, and God is just now getting started with you. Who but knows that the years of your life that God has brought you to right now have not been a years of preparation. And if we were to look at Moses' life through the lens of the standard of the world, he would have been considered a failure for most of it. Drop the ball on the inheritance, had the ability to maybe be one of the highest ranking people Egypt had, had ever seen, drop that, moved away to the desert, and so two-thirds of his life he's considered a failure in the eyes of men, but not in the eyes of God. When he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses was a prince of Egypt. And by any account, Egypt at the time was the wealthiest, the most cultured, and the most advanced society of that day. We have pyramids still around. From 3,000 years ago, they were built so well and so efficiently that artifacts are available even today. So great was the wealth of the Egyptian empire. The Nile River would overflood into their valleys, irrigate their farms. They knew what they were doing. Moses could have been there. And it must have been an incredibly difficult thing as he sat in the palace, palm leaves serving as air conditioning, all the food he could ever want to watch his brothers and sisters being beaten in slavery. It's a difficult thing today, is it not? When we see brothers and sisters in Christ in Syria and Iraq, Korea and around the world being beaten for their faith. And Moses could not get over that. He had it all, but he gave it all up because he understood something about his life that he, wasn't, that he was entitled to nothing, that God didn't owe him anything, but he had 
been freely given all of these things, and he understood something that we often forget, and that is that favor of God and favor of the world don't work in the same way. Favor of the world looks at name, recognition, degrees, bloodline. God looks at a humble and a willing heart, a contrite spirit. One royal figure who later became a a missionary, wrote this at his departure. He said, what is it to me to bear the title well-born when I am born again to Christ? What is it to me to have the title Lord when I desire to be the servant of Christ? What is it to be called your grace when I have need of God's grace? All these vanities I will away with and all else I will lay at the feet of my dear Lord Jesus. We know that those forgotten by the world are remembered by God. About a year ago, I had the privilege of going to London and experiencing many of the sights of ancient history. I loved going and seeing all of that. Henry VIII is arguably the most well-known monarch in English history. He had sumptuous palaces, great courts, riches beyond compare. One of his main goals in life was to make sure that he had a gravestone and a monument laid out to him. So he had money set aside. But when he died, they never completed the grave. And so he's buried there on the grounds of one of the castles, and his gravestone is just something that you can walk right across. He's buried beneath that. It's not even a monument that comes up out of the ground. That's the greatness of the world. Compare that to D.L. Moody in Northfield, Massachusetts. You have to look around to find his grave. There's a lot of great ones around it man who went from a goal of selling a million shoes to saving a million souls when God got a hold of his life, simply says, he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. My pastor used to tell that story, and on his tombstone today are the same words, he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You and I must give ourselves to greater things. We have the choices of many things in life, perhaps more choices and more opportunities than the world has ever afforded. afforded. And we can give ourselves to calendars and to planning and all these other things, but may we not forgive ourselves, forget to give ourselves first and foremost to the Lord, to prioritize worship in His house, study of His Word, serving His commands. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, It says something else about Moses in this text. It says that he was choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses refuses the treasures of Egypt and he clings to the covenant of God. Someone said it well. He knew it would profit him nothing if he gained the whole world and lost his own soul. And Joshua follows Moses' command a generation later when he says, Choose you this day whom you will serve. You can serve the gods who are out there. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Moses understood something, that the pleasures of sin were only for a season. He knew that the devil only pays in counterfeit money. Dear friends, how much time we spend trying to find satisfaction and hope in things other than God. You can do it in a lot of different things. You can do it in a relationship. You can do that with sex. You can do that with a job. You can do that with your hobbies. You can do that with food and become gluttonous. The reason that we have so many 
addictions, named and unnamed, in our churches and in our culture today is because people are trying to find something that they will only find in God. He chose rather to suffer with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin for a season. I wonder what the conversation was among the Egyptians, Moses, who had it all, the right hand of Pharaoh, the prince of Egypt. I wonder if they said, we just can't understand why he would return to the slaves. Why would he do that? When they didn't know, they were blinded to the bondage of their own sin. Rather than being called a son of Pharaoh, he desired to be called a son of the promise. He identifies with the children of Israel. He's one of us. He loves his brothers. That's what the Bible says. People within God's house will be identified. Whether or not you are truly a child of God, do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you desire to be with them? That's how the world will know that what we say is real. Moses desired to be with the people of God rather than with the people of Pharaoh. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You may know Pharaohs placed their treasures in the pyramids. In many cases, they would place their servants and their animals in there with them too. So it was a bad thing. If your Pharaoh passed away and you're one of his servants or you're one of his animals, you're in trouble because they're going to look at you too and bury you along with them, even if it's not your time to go. They discovered King Tut's pyramid just a few generations ago. He would have lived probably about 100 years after Moses did. They found treasures galore stored up for everything in the afterlife because they believed that the Pharaoh would only have as good an afterlife as what was stored in his tomb. And so they put everything in there you could imagine. But rather than be buried with treasure, Moses decided that he wanted to be buried with Christ. Isn't that what Scripture tells us, that baptism represents that like as Christ was raised from the dead, even so by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We are buried with Him by baptism. I think sometimes our biggest fear, and this is true for all of us, is that we believe that what God wants for us isn't what we want for ourselves. We think, well, if I follow God, then maybe what He has won't be what I want. It's really the, the lie that Satan throws out in the garden, is it not? Did God really say? Did he really mean? Is God really good? But Moses believed something. He believed that what God had for him was better than what Pharaoh offered him. I like what Chuck Smith says about this. He says, the worst that God has to offer is better than the best the world has to offer. It's been described as if you were looking at the, the Mona Lisa and you were trying to improve upon it and you took a pen and you decided to, to scribble some of your own marks on it because you thought that would make it look better. You would say, why would I do that? That would be a, a crazy thing to do. It's the same thing when you think that your plan for your life can somehow improve God's plan. <laughs> you were scribbling on God's masterpiece. Do you not know that God desires good gifts for his children? Do you not know that his plan is much better than your plan could ever be? He wants what is best for you. And so contrast the behavior of Moses with the behavior of the rich young ruler who had to back away because he couldn't give away his worldly goods. John MacArthur lays this out well. From the worldly standpoint, he was sacrificing everything for nothing, Moses. But from the spiritual standpoint, he was sacrificing Nothing for 
everything. I don't think there will be one person standing before the judgment seat of Christ who will say, God, I gave too much to you. I regret it. There'll be a lot of people who said, I gave too much to other things. And I love how Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews works in the Old Testament aspect of Jesus here because he suffers. He says he considered the reproach of Christ. And Jesus wasn't around physically on the earth during the time of Moses. In all likelihood, Moses probably did not know his name. He knew that there would be someone who would come after. He knew that there would be a redemption of sins. That's why he's giving the sacrifices. That's why he's being led by the Lord to bring them onto the edge of the promised land. But it says that he suffered the reproach of Christ. And friends, when you suffer on behalf of God, you suffer for the sake of Christ. That Jesus was with him through the power of the Spirit during that time. And he says, I would rather suffer with God's people than live in the comfort of the devil. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. He'll say later on, most gladly, therefore, while I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of God may rest upon me. That the sufferings that the world has do not compare to the glory that God has. And then it tells us finally, by faith he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king. So one who was not afraid of Pharaoh's edict, talking about his parents, now Moses is willing to leave because he's not afraid of the anger of the king. And here's why he's able to do all this. Here's why the parents are able to obey God rather than men. Because he endured as seeing him who is invisible. I'm not a doctor or a medical expert, but I spend time in, in hospitals and try to care for those who are who are dying. And you know what they will tell you? For someone who is, who is sick and seriously sick, but they have the opportunity to live, you know what's amazing? They will talk about people who physically are fine, but mentally and emotionally and spiritually, they just give out. And they say the biggest factor beyond medicine, beyond anything that they can offer, surgery or whatever, is whether or not someone has the will to live. Because when you lose the will to live, it doesn't really matter what other people offer your way if your heart gives out. But on the other side of this, the human consciousness can endure almost anything as long as the patient does not lose heart. And that's what Paul says. He says we do not lose heart. Even though the outer man is, is, is wasting away, our inner man is being renewed day by day. And Moses kept in mind the promises of God. He always had that in mind. He had it in mind when Pharaoh told him no. He had it in mind when the children of Israel complained, and boy did they complain, two million of them. He had it in mind when things did not go his way. He knew he could endure because he looked at seeing him who is invisible. That's really the measure of our faith, is it not? We do what we do by faith. We're banking everything on it. Paul says, if it's not true, eat, drink, and be merry, tomorrow you die. We are hedging that what God has promised us in his word is true. That's why the world says you're fools. And they're right. Unless we take God at his word unless we take a God who cannot lie. And so for us, it's not nearly as much about beginning well 
as it is ending well. He considered the reproach of Christ, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He's looking to the reward. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And as all the chariots of Pharaoh came after Moses after parting the Red Sea, surely there wasn't the absence of fear in his life because that's not courage. But the boldness that he had was that he had committed a long time ago that, God, whatever you say, that's what I'll do. I'm all in with what you've commanded me. And who but knows the trials and the sufferings that you will face, especially of your children and your grandchildren as we face this transition in a world that is hostile to the gospel. It's always been hostile to the gospel, but it's more open than it's been in the previous hundred years. What will you say to them that will give them hope to go on? Moses endured because he saw him who was invisible. May we as believers in Christ, generations from now, be able to say that we endured, that they endured, because we saw Christ and we looked for the one who was invisible, doing visible work in all kinds of ways. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.